chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to land in a place that's probably familiar to you. You've heard it more than once here, I know. And yet, I think it is worthy for us to return to uh, this morning. Notice, notice Acts chapter 2, and we're going to actually pick up reading in 42. Notice what is said here. And they, this is Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Your word is powerful, it's alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. It pierces us and at the same time heals us from our sin. May that be the case today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some passages of the Bible uh, that, you know, you don't want to ever say that You know, parts of the Bible are more important than other parts of the Bible. But for each generation, each culture, each time, certain words of the Bible mean something more than certain other words. What I mean is we have a struggle today that is unlike the struggle in the 1700s. And so certain words are very appropriate for our time and our situation. And so today, this word here from Acts... Right here at the beginning of the church. The book of Acts details the beginning of the church. Jesus dies on the cross. He resurrects. And then the church begins. And Acts recounts that story. You know, when society breaks down. And we've seen this happen before. uh, All over the world, really. Where things get real. When society crashes, things get really real. And relationships matter. When you're living in a comfortable modern society with a lot of money flowing around, life can become an illusion. We can think that, we can form ideas in our head that we don't really need each other. That I can really take care of myself. But in crisis, in the collapse of society, there's no idea of that. Even before our modern world, people came together and understood the necessity of community. And today, even with all our smartphones and social experiments and social media, we, we probably feel more alone in that kind of culture than we would in one where we only knew maybe a hundred people. You see, we have a problem. And this particular passage details the solution to our problem, and that is Christian community. Christian communion, even. Notice, this is actually right after Pentecost. You remember Pentecost. This is where the promised Spirit descends. Jesus even told His disciples before He left, He said, Look, 
I must leave because there is another who is coming and he will descend upon you and fill you and he will remind you of what I taught you. He'll point to me. This happened 50 days after the resurrection, Pentecost. And as you know, in the church calendar, we celebrate Pentecost. We're actually in the season of Pentecost still. It's the longest season in the church. It brings us all the way back around to Advent, which will be the last Sunday of November. And so Pentecost is where the Spirit descends and the church begins. This is where the church truly has its beginning. There are 3,000 people that were converted on the day of Pentecost. And then, that's an that's instant megachurch right there. You know, megachurch is defined by 2,000 members, right? That's instant megachurch right there on the day of Pentecost. So what do they do? Do they build a big building? Do they go pay a bunch of clergy to do their job for them so they can just come and consume? Do they just come to the show? Hey, guys, when's the next show? All right, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's have a big shebang again. Is that, is that what happened? No, no, no. That's not what happens. Instead, let me point out just a couple key words from the passage we just read. And that is, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Believed together. Notice these words. And then again, together breaking bread in their homes. Do you see the idea? The idea here is, what do you do when 3,000 people are converted? You get in community. That's what you do. The largest church in the world is actually in South Korea. I think it has somewhere around 165,000 members. And one of the members were asked, it may have more than that. I think it's actually more than that, but you can check it later. One of the members was asked, uh, you know, surely you get lost in, in, I mean, you know, that many people. I mean, you're just probably one of many, you know, that you just slip through the crack. He said, oh, no, that's not the case at all because of small groups. They have the largest system of small groups literally in the world of the Christian church. And no one feels disconnected or lost in the crowd. Rick Warren, who has one of the larger churches in America... He says this often, and that is, the larger we get, the smaller we have to become. And it's so true. It's so true. Notice that, uh, that there's this poem, you, you know, by John Donne. says, no man is an island. Right? Famous words. I'm not going to read the whole poem to you, but, but uh, that's the way the poem actually begins. But I want to say to you this. Yes, no man is an island, but also no man is a continent. We're not meant for just big crowds. We're not meant to get, be lost in the crowd. Or even worse, hide in the crowd. Being a part of church, being a part of the body of Christ is not just hiding in the crowd. And it's also not seeing yourself as just an individual. I, I really see... Two ditches that we don't want to fall into. I mean, typically when you're, when you're on a path, you know, almost always with anything in life, if you're trying to walk a path, there are really two ditches on both sides of you. The first ditch is this, individualism. The other ditch is collectivism. One ditch, the enemy wants to make you think that you don't need other people. 
I mean, this is the sort of typical American independence. I don't really need anybody. I can take care of things myself. Don't worry about praying for me. I got this. God, help us. That's not the Spirit of God. God Himself, when we say God, we don't mean a monad in heaven, like Islam means. We don't mean a singularity. We mean one God in relationship. Three persons. You just confessed it with your mouth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in communion. God exists in a communion, not as an individual. We don't say three individuals, one God. Three persons, one God. Individualism comes from the enemy. And it's an attitude that says, I don't need you. I got this. God help us. We're not an island, but we're also not a continent. Collectivism would have us merge into each other in some kind of equality that everybody thinks the same way, everybody looks the same way, but guess what? Look around God's world, even pre-sin, God discriminates. There's black bears, there's brown bears, there's a gazillion colors of insects. I mean, just look at a dead insect sometime on the front grill of your car. And it's like, wow, the detail of this thing. I mean, I come around the front grill, whoa, this big bug on the front end. And I'm like, that thing is beautiful. It looked like, it, like somebody had done a science experiment and pinned it right there. It was wholly intact, but, you know, deceased. Um, and I thought to myself, just look at the, just look around this room. Look at all the different shapes and sizes and colors. I mean, your, your eyes explode with color, doesn't it? But collectivism would have us just smear all the colors together until there's darkness. That's of the enemy, my friends. God wants you to be you. Not like someone else. You're not called to be Moses. You're not called to be Elijah. You're called to be you. And God wants to use you and your sets of gifts, your shapes and sizes and color, just as much as he wanted to use Moses, Elijah, and all the great prophets. He likes a lot of colors and shapes and sizes. He likes diversity. He loves it. He loves it. Not collectivism. Not coll- We're not meant to be an island. We're not meant to be a continent lost in the mix, merged into the whole. Following the herd, hiding in the crowd. That's not what we're called to do, is it? No, no, no. I've got a better way. That's based on the Scripture's way. And that is we're called to be a part of an archipelago. Huh, now how about that one? That's the word of the day, guys. Archipelago. Big one. Came across it when I was studying Shinto with Japanese islands. Archipelago is just simply a series of islands. Now think about this. Hang with me. Hang with me. Notice this. We're called to be in smaller groups of individuals. We're not meant to just get lost in the crowd, just coming to the worship on Sunday, and then skipping out, never seeing our brothers and sisters during the week, but rather we're called to join up with one another. 
We're not called to just be an individual, but join ourselves to others, to other individuals. You know, each individual, just, just imagine, I mean, just as I look across this room, there's a whole universe that is you. And yet we get to share that in Christian community. This is what God has called us to. This is how God himself exists. Three persons in one. There is no oneness, oneness without many. How can the church be one if there's not many? And yet we are called to be one. Groups of individuals in collective groups, in small groups, in small bands of people, in community. That is the better way. And we do this naturally, don't we? I mean, just think about your college experience. Did you know everybody well at college? Did you know anyone? You felt loneliness at times because you weren't connected. But I guarantee if we really ask you, who made the greatest impact in college? It would be a small group of people. Even if you have a big family, you're going to tend to be impacted by a smaller group of people. If you work at a big corporation, guess what? You're going to be impacted. Your best friends, your, your people who really make an impact on you will be a part of a smaller group. We do it naturally, but what I'm saying is, what I'm asking you as your pastor to do is do it intentionally. In the church, let's do it intentionally. Look, look, let me just be honest with you. Small groups are not sexy. Now, what I mean by that is this. There are some things in church that are like coveted. Like, I want that, man. I wish I could get up in front of people and sing or, or speak or do this or that. You know, serving the homeless. Oh, yeah, we're like, geez, right? That, people like that. People want to be a part of it. But small groups, listen to what's going on in so-and-so's life. That's not very sexy, is it? That's not something that sounds fun to me. But can I say something to you? It's good for you. May not be fun. It's not always fun for me. But it's good for the soul. Imagine God listening to what the disciples talked about. Wouldn't that be the most boring thing in the world? I mean, God knows everybody. He knows all the coolest people in the world. These guys are not. And yet, he intentionally called them to be with him. Literally, what the scripture says is he went up, fasted and prayed, came down, and he called his disciples, the scripture says, to be with him. You know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, he's calling you to be with him. You can't do that by yourself. You can't do that by yourself. You can't do that in a crowd. He would oftentimes leave the multitude to spend time with his disciples. In the last week, I uh, gave you some numbers. And those numbers were confirmed, by the way. So my math for ministry is good. (laughs) Point zero two. Hour, uh, percent of your week would be four hours given to God. Two on Sunday 
and two in a small group. That's 0.02% of your week. Now, I don't want you to leave the church over this. <laughs> We've had people leave the church because I started preaching about getting connected and they just didn't want to do that, you know, and I mean, I'm not forcing anybody to do it. That's why I'm saying don't leave the church. You know, if you don't want to be a part of the market, that's A-OK. You can still come here and uh, be a part of the community in the best way you can because I think sometimes we think of small groups as just a, an appointed time that has to be ordained by the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about live with believers during the week. I don't care how you do that. It can be two or three. That's all that's needed. It doesn't have to be an official group of the church like what we have going on, which right now we have four going on that you could be a part of. But if you don't want to be a part of that one, then find one. Even if it's with another church group, find one. What I'm saying is it's essential to the Christian life to join yourself with brothers and sisters and give yourself to them in this way. What I'm saying is the only way to follow Jesus. I didn't make that up. I'm really sorry that you don't like that or like some people don't like that. I didn't make it up. You know, when people get offended by like certain things that God does, and I'm like, hey, I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. I didn't think it up. Trust me, I would have done it differently. But I'm not God. You see, small groups can be enticing and intimidating at the same time. It's like, oh, I would love to be a part of a community that actually loved me. I mean, I mean, some people in this area, guys, I mean, in our area, when you exegete our culture, you're going to find that people a lot of times move in from other places. They don't have family. So when they buy a new car, when they have a house, when they have their first baby, there's no one here locally to celebrate with them. That's where the church comes in. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We want to cry with you. But if you cut yourselves off from community, how is that possible? It's not. It's not possible. That's why we must share and we must confess that we're not enough. And that it's not good for us to live in a crowd just following the herd. Like I just always mentally pictured the wildebeest. Do you remember? No, you're going to get eaten by a crocodile. Don't do that. You're going to get lost. Here's what the scripture says. It's a litany. I have a litany here of, of just verses. I'm not going to reference everyone. If you want the list later, I can give it to you. Here's what the Bible says, just in short, about one another. Notice this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's like the old school, you know, Middle Eastern... Not just to be clear, right? Wait for one another. Have the same care for one another. Be servants of one another. This is where it starts. I'm preaching to myself now, see? Bear one another's burdens. Actually intentionally take on the burdens of others. Comfort one another. Build one another up. Be at peace with one another. Do good to one another. Put up with one another in love. It's good for someone to rub you raw. 
You need to learn to love them. They're going to be in heaven. Maybe not with the same attitudes, but they're going to be there. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another from the heart. Be hospitable to one another. Meet one another with humility. How can we do that if we're an island? How can we do that if we're lost on the continent? Archipelago. I think it's the solution. Small groups, small group series of islands. Time, space, resources, and accountability. That's what it's going to take. And I think that's where people put on the brakes, you know? Ah, my time's a little too much for me. Even 0.02% of the week. My space, I like to go home, close the blinds, shut the door, lock it up, turn on the tube. Zone out, veg out, let my life tick by, show by show on Netflix. This is the kind of culture we live in. It is. We don't have big open front porches anymore. Even the architecture of our houses tells the story. We have huge backyards that are locked down with fences. No open invitation. Lights are off at 8. Don't come visiting me, sharing me, burdening me. I've had enough throughout the day. And Jesus looks at the crowds, even though he's exhausted and has compassion on them. Are you following him? You know the disciples are like, are you kidding me right now? We got to go eat. He says, this is my food. Holiness can't be done by yourself. That's, that's like a square circle. Can't draw a square circle. It's impossible. You can't be holy without other people. Period. End of sentence. And big group meetings, it's not where holiness is worked out. Holiness is hammered out on the anvil of smaller groups living in community. That's the only way it happens. Here you can be fake for two hours. It's almost time to go home. All right, let's start yelling again. Let's start doing our own thing. Let's take off and shed all this stuff. We got our fix in for the week. Check. That's not Christian community. That's not following Jesus. It's not something you turn on and you turn off. That's called hypocrisy. John Wesley said this, Christians know no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. When asked what a Methodist was, here was his response. If you walk by this rule, continually endeavoring to know and love and resemble and obey the great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as the God of love, of pardoning mercy, if from this principle of loving, obedient faith, you carefully abstain from all evil and labor as you have opportunity to do good to all men, friends or enemies, if lastly, you, you, you unite together to encourage and help each other in thus working out your salvation. And for that end, watch over one another 
in love, you are they whom I mean by Methodists. Abstain from evil, labor to do good, unite together. That's what a Methodist is. That's the method in Methodism. So what are small groups not? This is a bad this is a list of, a, of bad small groups. Like this is what we're not talking about, okay? Real quick. It's not a gossip group. It's not catching up on the week. We have to we have to be intentional about pushing through. It's not just catching up. It's not a one-man show. One person talking, everybody else listening. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about living in community, living in small group communities. It's also not a place to complain about the church. It's also not a place for crazy people to hijack the church. In other words, uh, I heard this recently. It's not original to me. But the guy was up there. I was at a conference and he said, it only, may, it, it only takes one turd to make the whole place smell bad. I thought, huh, that's true. Just one. Just one in the whole mix. And everything gets soured. Everything becomes toxic. We have to guard ourselves to make sure small groups don't become toxic. And small groups are not an end in themselves. In other words, oh, I'll just join it with a small group. I'm done with the rest. Peace. No. No, no. The benefits of a community group are these. Believers living in community, fulfilling what Jesus called us to do. It's a place to pray for one another. That's one of the most important things you do in small group is you pray for one. You have people who are praying for you. You have people who are speaking into your life. Personal story real quick. The other week, about a month ago, um, I, uh, I, I never even do this. I, I don't have a problem with this typically. But all of a sudden it was like I got bit by the jealous bug. This, this person that I knew ended up getting like a sweet job, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And things seemed to be going great for them. I just all of a sudden became jealous. And I was like, what is going on in my heart? It was one of these things where I had trouble going to sleep that night. The next morning it was the first thing that hit me. And then Jesse, as I was getting out of the shower, I checked a text message from him. And it was about being jealous. And it was a word for me. Now, he sent it out to a group of people. He, he had no clue what was going on. I, I promise you that, and this is not like I'm holier than you. I just don't normally have a problem with that. But I had a problem with that over about a 24-hour period until that text came in for me. Now, I don't know what I would have done had that, not, had that text not. Had he and I not been in relationship and him have the opportunity to speak in my life, I would have had to struggle with that maybe for a week or longer. Or I might have hit, hit it, right? That's what we do. We just... Push it down. Deal with that later. No, I, I, I literally, in my heart, dropped to my knees and said, Okay, God, I want to think the best about that person. Something's wrong with my heart. Do you have people that can speak into your life like that? Like, what do you do in here? Who is allowed to tell you, you're wrong? That's not good for you. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to end up in hell. Who is allowed to do that in your life? If it's nobody, friends. Friends. I plead with you, put somebody in there. 
find All you got to do is pray. That's it. God, help me join myself with somebody. Again, you don't have to come to our ordained small groups. I'd love for you to. They're great. But find somebody to share life with that's a believer. Not only that, place to pray, hear and learn about the Word of God. Also to find and grow and use your gifts. That's what... Small groups are a great place to learn who you are in Christ and how to use your gifts. And then finally, spiritual protection. We connect with God, we connect with others, and we live on mission with Him. And that's all connected to our vision of our church. Prepare, living in the community of hope that prepares us for heaven. Plant, rooted and grounded in a community of love. Produce a place to bear fruit and grow in holiness. And then we reproduce that. You see, the world has gone bad, and God's plan for us always involves other people. It always involves other Just think about it. A couple sins. God starts with a couple. Doesn't he? Abraham and Sarah. No words. God's answer to a couple who sins is another couple. A family sins. And God births a family out of impotency and barrenness. The nations sin in Genesis. And God creates a nation to respond to that, doesn't he? One couple, one family, one nation, ultimately in Jesus Christ, one person. Now that's God's plan of salvation. It's not mine. I would have done it different. I would have waved a wand. They spell Amos, you know, some Harry Potter or something like that. That's what I would have done. But you know what? Sin was social, so salvation is social. Sin destroys a family, so God calls us into a family. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed by the Nazis in 1945, writes, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. This but echoes the words of the psalmist who wrote, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Are you living together in unity? No man is an island. It's okay to be you. Unrepeatable you. No man's a continent. We've got to seek to live in communities and cultures. As Justin read a moment ago, seek the welfare of the city. We're actually called to love this city. We're called to love Huntsville, to pray for Huntsville, to redeem Huntsville. That's only done in communities. Everyone is called to be an archipelago in small groups. A series of individuals that merge together to form a nation. One nation under God that's united in Jesus Christ by the Spirit. You don't learn best in assembly. 
You learn best with small groups of people. You are impacted by smaller groups of people. Who's impacting you? Who are you allowing to impact? Who are you impacting? It must be someone, my brothers and sisters. It must be because that's what Jesus did, and we are followers of him. Amen.